Welcome to the Pilgrims Digress, the half an episode where these two pilgrims digress. It's nothing. That's <laughs> no, nothing. That's, that's nothing. not anything. Oh, I just realized something. I put this, this nice coffee, coffee in this yeah. French press. I don't know. What was that? 25 minutes ago? This yeah. is going to be mud. I'm pushing the plunger down now. While I do that, let me just say to you, if, oh my gosh, it's like fighting Apollyon. This is the struggle. This is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is the hill difficulty. <laughs> this is why it's called difficulty. Difficult, yeah. If, if indeed this is the first episode of this podcast you've listened to, you're doing it wrong. Uh, what you want to do is definitely go back to the beginning and start at the beginning. And you're going to want to listen to, oh, actually it looks pretty good. You're going to want to listen to the main episodes without the .5 at the end of them. Then, maybe, listen to our, our discussion, our digressing. And according to the metrics that, well, Alex might be really obsessed with. Um, that's not true. That's not true. Yeah. Might be, I said. Might. There are some people listening to these without listening to the, which, that's fine too, I guess. If maybe they, they don't want to hear. Um, all your hard work. All my hard work. They just want to hear us yeah. pick it apart. <laughs> Doing no work. Yeah, right. just picking apart. No work done here. Yeah. Uh, that, that's whatever, you know. Also, if you are a patron person here, a Patreon subscriber, know that I have activated the special super secret uh, Patreon feed. So you can actually go on your Patreon account, find the, the little uh, feed in there, the, the RSS feed, dump it into your podcast app, and then it will give you all the early release stuff, and all of the extras uh, automatically. And you won't have to, you know, go log in and do it through a website, which feels so 90s and web 1.0 to me. You know, before syndicated... Uh, oh, by the way, get this. Yeah. I actually have been listening to podcasts for more than 15 years. I have made many podcasts. I've, I've been host or co-host of six of them over the past almost 10 years. Just today. Mm-hmm. Just today, yeah, did I realize that podcast is like a play on broadcast? That had never occurred to me. Well, it never occurked to me either. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. We're learning I heard, together. I heard someone say broadcast, and for a second I thought they said podcast, and I was like, wait, oh, uh, I'm a smart guy. You're a smart guy. Mm. I, I don't know. Uh, somehow that eluded us both. So maybe, and maybe it's not. Maybe maybe that throws that statement into question though yeah 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 maybe i had a realization that wasn't yeah. really a realization could couldn't tell you but what we're talking about today is chapter six uh it is a chapter that is a little lighthearted compared to maybe some that have come before it i like how bunyan did this right when he gets you know there's there's some dark stuff in the interpreter's house then there's the very solemn and beautiful thing at the cross. And then he's like, you know what? I think they've earned some some wacky shenanigans and some goofy <laughs> characters that still have some meaningful truth. Yeah. When you've read it, have you found this to be kind of a funny section? Or did I impose my own impression on it? I think the three people sleeping is definitely comedic. Yes, yes. It's, it's definitely comedic. The other two guys are a little sad. I, I mean, it's all kind of yeah, sad, yeah. but like there's a there's an over the topness that's kind of I mean, yes. them tumbling. The, the phrase "tumbling over the wall" always right. struck me as funny. Yeah, that very idea of them and them being these kind of, um, I mean, however you read it, the fact that his name is formalist even is maybe why I, I go this route in my mind. He's kind of a Niles character, and uh, they come tumbling over the wall and then stand up, brush themselves off, and are immediately like better than everyone and snobby. Right. And it's like, but wait a minute, you were just tumbling over Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know, I, I found some humor in it. Uh, we start the app, though, with Faithful in the interpreter's, not in his house, maybe in his magical house, I don't know, in the mm -hmm. interpreter's care. And he is seeing the violent taking of this palace. And we didn't discuss it last time, nope. so let's talk about it this time. There's a couple of texts to read, and they're, the second one especially is, is not one I ever hear anyone really quote. You know, uh, so I'm going to read, as always, by the way, from the English sanctified version, the ESV. Uh, that's a joke I stole from Chris Rosebro, an OG podcaster oh, yeah. in the Christian in the Christian world. Okay, uh, and by the way, my son, what does OG mean to you? Original gangster. And original gangster. My son t texts us or his order original. for Subway, and he's yeah. like, "I want the OG uh, whatever sandwich." You and, and my wife's like, "Oh, what?" He's like, "It means original." She's like, that means original gangster. And they had this big uh, like debate about the, the significance of OG. Has it just become, come to mean original? Maybe. 
I think it's funny to talk about OG Baptists because, <laughs> I don't know, it, yeah. the idea of a Bunyan or Roger Williams or John Clark. Yeah, uh, like a backwards hat. Yeah, yeah, but, but like one of those yeah. uh, 17th century hats. Hats, backwards. but backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying so hard to be, I mean, they, they were, these guys are, were hardcore. Yeah. You know, you've struck me as with roses, Obadiah mm-hmm. Holmes. But uh, yeah, for them to have some kind of swagger is, is a kind of comedic thing. Okay, I'm going to read uh, from Ezekiel 9, 1 through 11, which is the text that is cited in, in the copy I'm using here of the Pilgrim's Progress, right where it says, uh, the man sitting at the desk holding the, the ink horn and quill, waiting to record the names of those who were determined to enter the palace. Nobody would quite dare get close enough to give their name until our guy. I wish he had a name. Yeah. Like, like, it seems like a missed opportunity. Yeah. To come up with something clever. You've already done it. I mean, throughout the entirety of the book, you're just coming up with clever names for people. Maybe he was just having a... He was, like, out that day. He was like, you know what? Right. This yeah. guy... Yeah. Whoever. True Courage or something. In the original manuscript, been... his name was, like, Bert. And then he was like, ah, oh, just get rid of that. Yeah. Way to falling out with Bert. <laughs> <laughs> Bert owes me 30 yeah. shillings. So, <laughs> all right. So, this is Ezekiel 9. Then he cried in my ears with a loud voice, saying, Bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand. And with them was a man clothed in linen, with a writing case at his waist. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen, who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others, he said, in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eyes shall not spare, and you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house. Then he said to them, defile the house, and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. So they went out and struck in the city. And while they were striking, and I was left alone, I felt upon my face and cried, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in the outpouring of your wrath on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, The guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. The land is full of blood, and the city full of injustice. For they say, The Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. As for me, my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity, and I will bring their deeds upon their heads. And behold, the man clothed in linen with the writing case at his waist brought back word, saying, I have done as you commanded me. So that's a picture of God's judgment on idolaters in Jerusalem, save for those who have been marked with with the pen. You know, you have no idea how badly I want an Old Testament writing case. Okay, I I don't know. I wish I even knew what it looked like. You know what right. I mean? I'm sure it's lashed all together with different kinds of cords and oh, leather. And probably it's held shut with like a, a cord that's wrapped around it a bunch of times, like leather. Ooh. That sounds right up my alley. Uh, maybe we could... There's a branding opportunity here for the podcast. We could sell some merch. The Old, Old Testament, Old writing, Testament case. writing case. A little footnote that says, please don't wholesale slaughter people uh, based on their not having a mark on their forehead. This is yet another example of the mark on the forehead being a mm. good thing. Certain Christians on certain uh, Facebook groups are going crazy right now because they realize that yeah, that's a number number of times in here. What what do you think is the connection to the guy at the palace gate? Like, there's a difference between someone going through a city, marking people based on whether or not they're wailing and weeping over sin, mm. and someone sitting there at the ready waiting for someone to come forward and declare their. That seems like a little bit of a stretch as far as. That seems like one of those olden Puritan proofs that you yeah. you, you put into things that barely matches a text. You see it all the time in the catechisms. Yeah, we've been studying how long? The, about two and a half years, maybe, the yeah. uh, Baptist catechism, Spurgeon's uh, version of the, the catechism from basically the Westminster Shorter and the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith blur- blended together. And I would say at least every other question. You say, why didn't you use this text, which was clearer than Super that? Super obvious. It must have been yeah. a flex, like a weird flex to say, mm. I can go one one step more obscure and and show my knowledge of the minutiae. I don't know. But it, it doesn't work. Is the pro- That'd be impressive <laughs> if it worked. If it worked. Yeah, if it worked, but... In this case, I mean, we do have... So we have the, the notion of God's judgment passing over people 
who are brokenhearted, humbled, and on their face. I mean, so it, it connects not only to this guy uh, taking the kingdom or to taking the palace uh, by force, but also to the cross itself, to the receiving of the mark on his forehead at the cross, and I think uh, the seriousness of sin. You know that that these are the people who have the burden. That's why they're weeping and wailing and, and mourning over idolatry, and everyone else is just like, eh, whatever. Hmm. It is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess my mind would go more towards the spiritual warfare kind of quotations. Go into like Ephesians. We could talk about armor and yeah. you know stuff like like that's where my mind would go. I'd say if I had to put scriptures to this image, right? Those are the places I'd go. Now, the, the, I mean, maybe they're just whoever, the, whatever editor put these because Bunyan didn't do these. Yeah. We don't know where, what exactly Bunyan was thinking when he wrote this. I think it's a great picture of the Christian life. Yes. Um, but maybe they were saving those Ephesians passages, those Ephesians 6 passages for the armory. Yeah. Which I feel like is something that just gets completely skipped over in Bunyan's version. Oh, interesting. I can't wait to like go through one at a time with the... Arm them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like the, the montage when you watch like the guy in the action movie like snip, 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 shoving yeah. knives into scabbards all over, you know, uh, uh, into his boots and like uh, strapping things. It's lashing. Lashing uh, adjacent. Wow. He's got like uh, netting with grenades and then he's got like an Old Testament writing case at his waist. You have, good, you have good days ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> all the days of your life are going to be blessed. <laughs> I, I think that maybe we should also sell armor that's got like a pod. We need a podcast logo and then you get armor, like actual armor. Is there crossover opportunity for like uh, cosplay LARPer people who also listen to this podcast? Too? <laughs> Might. Is there crossover with the cosplay community in our podcast? Yeah. That's a brave statement. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I would, Unless it's like a meeting of like 30 people. If it's just 30 people in like kind of like a rundown event center that get together and they all dress up like characters from the Pilgrim's Progress. No, no, I don't think we're talking about it. I'm saying there are, are there uh, people who, who like that. Oh, I see. That scene. Okay. And also might listen to this podcast that we could just bleed dry hmm. by providing writing cases, armor, weapon, weaponry. <laughs> I think our ability to make any of this stuff. I got a guy. It, I got a guy. Oh, no. It's a guy named Brandon. I know he lives three blocks away. He makes all sorts of oh, he's weapons and armor. The, and... He's the one who made that chain. Yeah, when I was preaching through it. Ephesians, yes. and I got to Ephesians 6, I had a piece of chain mail that he had made. Uh, he's made. He, he showed me a, an amazing knife he made. He made it out of metal that he reclaimed from the Grand River with one of those giant magnets with a string on it. That's pretty cool. Though. It is so cool. That's pretty yes. cool. Yes, yes, yes. Lean into the green thing again. Yeah. Really. Basically, if you, listening to this podcast is a carbon offset for you. It's actually a tax write-off, too. <laughs> if you didn't know. I don't know what form you need. Well, it'll be in the show notes. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the next thing here is, this is the more straightforward. There's two more texts. One of them's from Matthew 11, and I think this is probably... Well, you can usually tell which one of the, the citations is the one that Bunyan probably had in mind. And I think it's going to be this first one here from the New Testament. Matthew 11, 12. I'm going to give a little context here. Um, by reading a couple verses, or a verse before and a couple after. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That is an obscure reference. I, you don't often hear people talk about the violent take it by force as a go-to kingdom image. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not like a Roman's road tie-in or anything. Yeah. Right. Listen, you need to be contrite. Yeah. You need to confess your sin. You need to be violent. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's usually not how we go. I'm going to go to the, the, the godfather here, uh, John Calvin. Oh, okay. I thought you meant the actual godfather. 
Like the movie oh, The Godfather? Like, yeah. yeah okay, you were so, going to pull something out of And there? he said, never go against the family. Yeah. And, but John Calvin says uh, on this passage, uh, on, that, on this statement, the violent take it by force. The greater part of men were no more excited than if the prophets had never uttered a word about Christ, or if John had never appeared as his witness. And therefore, Christ reminds them that the violence of which he had spoken existed only in men of a particular class. The meaning, therefore, is a vast assembly of men is now collected as if men were rushing violently forward to seize the kingdom of God. For aroused by the voice of one man, they come together in crowds and receive not only with eagerness but with vehement impetuosity the grace which is offered to them. Although very many are asleep, a little foreshadowing to the next passage, although very many of them are asleep and are no more effective than if John in the wilderness were acting a play which had no reference to them, yet many flock to him with ardent zeal. The tendency of our Lord's statement is to show that those who pass by in a contemptuous manner and, as it were, with closed eyes, the power of God, which manifestly appears both in the teacher and in the hearers, are inexcusable. Let us also learn from these words... What is the true nature and operation of faith? It leads men not only to give cold and indifferent assent when God speaks, but to cherish warm affections towards him and to rush forward, as it were, with a violent struggle. Hmm. So I have to confess for a lot of my life, whenever I've read, and I've I've read the Gospels probably more than any other part of the Bible. So I've, I've read Matthew many, many times. And I had never thought much about that until a few years ago. Hmm. Uh, and I kind of assumed he was talking when he said the violent take it by force about like bad people trying to leverage the kingdom of God right. to take it and use it for their own evil desire. Like maybe he's talking about the Pharisees. Maybe right. he's talking about like your Hophni and Phineas type characters in the Old Testament, bad priests. When really this is who we're intended to be, mm. rushing forward with zeal and 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 ready to cut down the enemy. Again, back to Ephesians six. This is not talking about fighting against flesh and blood, but against demonic, hellish powers, uh, uh, principalities, etc. And so this picture kind of uh, forces you to reassess what that means. And and I think Mm. rightly so, to say, wait a minute, am I fighting a battle? Or am I, you know, somebody who's just sort of walking nicely down a road? And, And I mean, much of the battle Christian's fighting, it is just him walking down the narrow way. But he's ready at any moment for the enemy to pop up when he's when he is doing well. Mm. Uh, and, he, and when he's not ready, he pays a, a price. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, on that passage? Is that one that, that you had understood right when you read it? No. Okay, that's good. I'm uh, in good company. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's a good gauge in comparison to uh, that image in comparison to these other people that we're going to see that are sleeping. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, yeah. you have this man who's stepping to the front of the line. He's putting on a helmet. He's drawing a sword. He's doing what needs to be done, no matter the discomfort that he's going to suffer for it, to enter the kingdom of heaven. And contrasted to that, you have people that are right outside of a house, just had these warnings, and mm-hmm. are asleep. They and made it like... 20 feet. Exactly. And then fell asleep and then are totally satisfied to stay there and don't wake me up. Don't try and move me. I'm satisfied to stay here. And I think that I think that part of the Christian life is dissatisfaction with where you are. It is it is being able to look at um, look at your own sin and be dissatisfied with it and Mm -hmm. hate it and want to kill it. It is a dissatisfaction with the world around you, the ability to look and and really truly feel like an exile and, you know, like a sojourner and want to go home. But also Um, want to work for the good of the world around you where you are a sojourner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Work to make peace. Work to, you know, you know, you know. Increase justice. Take care of the uh, widow and the orphan Mm -hmm. um, and keep yourself unstained by the reality of our world. So I think it's I think it's a really good image to compare oneself to a lot of the time where are you just someone who's comfortable? I'm satisfied with who I am. Yeah, things could be better, but I'm not going to do anything to make them better. I'm not going to take action. That could be a good indication of you being one of these other individuals um, as opposed to someone who's willing to stand up and actually take their salvation seriously. Right. Well, and I mean, when you talk about the other individuals, even in that picture, there are other guys. 
There are mm. those who are gathered there. Right. And they're looking, they're longingly gazing upon the palace. Yeah. But none of, they start to draw near and they're like, mm, no, it's just too, I can't take that many guys. Mm. I, I, I can't fight them. I can't do this. I'm going to hold back and just wait for the situation to get better. And when you talk right. about being dissatisfied, I, I think that there's a, a great tension here that, that's a good tension where we want to be content in all situations, right. which is something Paul says he's learned to be. But there's a difference between being content and being complacent. Right. right. We don't want to be complacent where we go, all right, I'm happy with, you know, however, I'm just going to let things go as they are. Content means in this moment, God is giving me what I what I need and I'm not dissatisfied with that. Mm. I think the dissatisfaction you're talking about is God wants to do more things and through through me as his instrument even yeah. to, to uh, bring his love and mercy and grace to bear on the world around me. And so these other guys who are holding back, I mean, I get it. I, and, and here's the other question. It's like when you watch a bunch of gazelles run away from a single lion and you're like, there's 300 of you. Just dogpile on that thing, right? Why yeah. don't they all just, you know, it's like, or like a ninja movie where everyone's dancing mm. around fighting them one at a time. But they won't because all of them are kind of waiting on someone else to do the hard thing. And I think that's what this guy's going to do. He's going to be the one. I'm, I'm listening to a, uh, a podcast about Martin Luther King right now. Uh, the MLK tapes, I just started. I, I'm not recommending it. I don't know if it's good or, or not, but it seems interesting. But uh, someone like that, someone mm. who's just like, you could wait and say that looks dangerous. I'm going to see, I'm going to pray, I'm going to see if the tide turns. Or you could just say, you know what? No, I got I got to do it. I got to do something. I'm going to... Both Martin Luthers. Yeah, yeah. right. Absolutely. So hold them both up and say that, yeah, men of action. Yeah, Don't right. just sit, do something. Yeah, t- draw mm. the sword and do something. And, and what's at stake here? Is not even like societal change or something, but but somebody's own salvation. Soul, yeah. yeah, and and it's it's a weird picture for us when you say, okay, last week a glance up, a look at the cross saved him. Right. And last week we had the playing out of the picture where the guy went in and like is chopping off heads and fighting and getting stabbed and and dragging himself through the door. And that's a picture of his salvation. Which one? And the answer is yes. Yeah. Both of them. And, and it has to do with justification being receiving the imputed righteousness of Christ and being declared righteous in God's sight. But salvation continues. Uh, you are being saved because you are being sanctified. Uh, you, you are God's. He looks at you and sees Jesus. And now the practically every day your life more and more reflects that as you're being made into a new creation. And that is a battle. Hmm. And, and, you know, let's let's go ahead and just jump ahead to these next three guys then because the question comes up. I mean, these guys are, in the allegory, simple sloth and presumption are saved, right? Presumably. Oh, they're, I see what you did. Presumption, presumably. They're they're inside of the uh, wall. They're on the other right? side of the cross. Other side of the wall. And then, and then the wall that, like, is on both sides, isn't it named salvation? Yeah. Or something? So, I mean, like, they're inside of salvation. Now, they could have tumbled over. Maybe. That's what I was going to say. It's possible that they also tumbled over the wall just a little earlier. To go to sleep? To, well, to just go to sleep. I mean, it's a lot of work getting over a wall, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's possible. Yeah. I, I never I, climbed a wall, so I don't... I rather think he intended them to be people who... Saved people. Yeah. Yeah. How common is this? Mm. And, and we framed it this way. We talked about this either last time or the time before. We, we've both heard a lot of uh, testimonies that were, all this stuff happened, then I got saved, praise the Lord, that's the end of the story. And hearing that and, and kind of framing salvation that way... Wouldn't that lead people to think, okay, now that I'm saved and the work is done, it is finished, I guess I just rest now. I just right. chill. I just lay down, and while I'm sleeping, somebody might throw some leg irons on me, and mm. I wouldn't even notice. Right. It's the end of the book, not the end of the chapter. Right. Yeah, right. You, know, you, just, you, just, you, just, you just don't turn the page over, and you go, well, that's it. That's, and you go, no, it's not. You have the whole rest of your life and then eternity. It really, really a short-sighted way to look at what's happened. And, and um, what a shame. What a waste. Y- yeah. Well, it's it's they're certainly not taking the warnings of the interpreter seriously at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, the, if, if they saw the same things that Christians saw, especially the man in the cage yeah, and yeah. Um, uh, the guy waking up from the dream who saw uh, the last day, then they look at that, they go past the cross, and then they immediately go to sleep. They don't take any of those warnings seriously at all. And not only that, when they're confronted about it, 
um, and they're reminded about it, and they're told that they're in danger, they don't believe it. I don't see any danger around me. That doesn't mean it's not there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you've been warned about it. Yeah, yeah, you, you've you've been warned about it several times, and a lot of danger isn't like there to be seen right away. Well, the texts here are they're they're both quoted in the original manuscript and in our episode. So, um, I mean, one is Proverbs twenty three thirty four. Uh, you are like one who falls asleep uh, on a mast, etc. And then First Peter five eight. Uh, your enemy stalks about like a roaring lion, uh, determining who to devour. And the fact that they're not cognizant of this danger is kind of simultaneously what makes it goofy and makes it sad. Because it's an ironic thing where you have people who are so inexperienced in spiritual things that they haven't experienced anything past the cross that's any kind of battle or anything. Hmm. So that's why they're not ready, but that's also why they need to be ready. Because, you know, as as neophytes, that first time the enemy comes for them is probably going to be a big one to try right. and stunt their... And, and he's he's been able to just shackle them. They don't know. They don't care. And, you know, all they want to do is yell at Christian for trying to wake them up. Right. I think the combination of the three words, uh, you know, nominalizations of each of these guys together, too, kind of informs what Bunyan is thinking about. You have simple, which is the kind of dull, idle, kind of spiritual malaise, this kind of just, I don't, I don't need to go any deeper. Mm-hmm. I had, somebody read me John 3.16, I, I said a sinner's prayer, or I got, you know, baptized, or I, whatever the case, I just, I got enough. Mm-hmm. I got the milk. I know there's meat. And I'm cool. I like I like that meat. I'm not going to eat it. I'm good. I had I had the warm milk and I'm asleep now. Right. So there's that that and then there's sloth, this kind of just lethargic, spiritual sleepiness. Uh, I think he he's obviously the one who's most naturally going to be sleeping and uh, probably got the other ones to come lie down next to him and just take a rest. This is again maybe from a good point of view theologically. You can't earn your salvation. You don't do anything. This is the work of God to believe in the one whom he sent. Yeah. And then, oh, okay, so there's nothing to do. And let me just take the rest of my life off. And then presumption, which, I mean, is like right at the intersection of those other two. Yeah. Presuming on God's grace, going, I, I don't have to work out my salvation fear and trembling, even though the Bible says to, because, you know, I was there when I got saved. I know that I had legitimate feelings. Mm. I know I was, I was at the cross. I can look up at where I was and go, yeah, yeah. they took, they took my, uh, burden right off. I had to scroll. Yeah. I got I this, have it, the... and I, I always wish this was like a virtual reality thing or something hmm. where you can look closer at these guys and go look at his pockets. And, Do they have the scroll? Oh, interesting. Do they have, yeah. You know, we, we don't know <laughs> if someone was able to come and shackle their legs. Why oh. couldn't they yank the scroll from them? I mean, we're pushing the boundaries of, yeah. uh, I think, Later on, uh, Faithful and Christian are going to get kind of a, a spat over this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> over somebody doesn't gets his his gem stolen, but not his scroll. And like, why didn't he steal his scroll? And uh, you you. Then they get mad. They kind of like don't talk for a while. But uh, all, all these three guys together kind of make I think a, a composite picture of. I don't want to sound like this guy, but a large portion of nominal Christianity in the West. I listen to Christian radio. I do this the spiritual stuff that kind of boosts me and gives me a, a little rush and helps me make it through the day. But I'm not fighting a battle right now. I'm, mm. I'm I haven't had to endure any wounds on behalf of the, or, or because of the gospel. I haven't had to face off against any very difficult enemies or or push myself to the limit of can I mortify the flesh. It's been more of a, you know, a holiday so far. This is as stark a warning to me as the man in the iron cage. Yeah, I agree with that. It's difficult because because what you're not saying is that those like nominalized individuals aren't saved. Right. You right. Know, I'm you not know, saying that. They're, you know, I don't know. They're inside of these walls and it's and it's 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 uncharitable, I think. I think to start making assumptions like we see Christian do. You know, where, where, you know, he leaves this encounter in kind of a hypocritical fashion because he's himself is going to fall asleep and lose his scroll. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and you, you had mentioned earlier kind of a, and I, I don't, I think I unintentionally kind of just drawing out what Bunyan had said and trying to paint him as, I can't think about those guys. Let me give thanks to God. 
you saw a uh, parallel to another passage. Right, with the uh, prayer of the Pharisee and then the tax collector, where a lot of what Christian is saying is just flirting with some of the terminology that the Pharisee uses, which is, thank you for not making me like them. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you for my salvation. Thank you for my this. And those are good things to be thankful for. And I think we should constantly be looking at stuff to remind us about these truths. And we should be coming together regularly and taking the Lord's Supper and and constantly being reminded of these truths, but but not, I think, off of other people. Not off of other people's failing, not off of other people's sin, and and then being able to turn around and look, oh, thank God I don't struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then instead of also staying and really trying to help them. Yeah, he, he tried a couple times, and then he yeah. was, like, just taken aback that they didn't want it and said, Yes, Fine. yeah. And I think that that's a, a true response. Me and you are have a lot of similarities, and we have a lot of similar interests, and it's you know, one of the things that I think has built a really strong friendship, but we know people that have different likes and interests and sometimes looking at what they decide to spend time on or think about deeply. And you go, that doesn't make any sense. Why do, you know, why aren't you over here? Why aren't you working like this? Why aren't you doing this? And I think that's a lot of what Christians experiencing right there is the the shock that not all Christians are going to be moving at the same pace mm-hmm. or doing yeah. the same things or making the same amount of progress. Come on, guys. You know, you know don't you all want to move? Don't you all want to make progress? Don't you all want to move, just absolutely move as fast as possible? And not realizing that that's also a gift. Yeah. You know, yeah. his zeal and his want to progress and to make much of Christ with the little time that he's given is an absolute gift. And who are you to say that the spirit was wrong to not give these people that gift potentially in that moment. Who are you? You know? Now the uh, question is in this allegory, right? Is this Christian's cage stage? Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it would be very brief, but of course in a it's whole lifetime that is a very brief. Yeah. Moment. Yeah, it's kind of Christian cage stage. Yeah. Or he's he's it's all new to you and it's all exciting and you're so overcome with emotion that this is all that there is. You know. we, we should define these terms. For, for Calvinists, uh, we often say right when you become a Calvinist, it is your cage stage because you're so zealous and you want to like fix everyone's theology and you're so snobby and look down on anyone with even a little bit different view of things, even mm. if they're Orthodox Christians, that you ought to be thrown for a time, not forever, into an iron cage until you cool off. Yeah, And uh, that, <laughs> I think Christian is kind of, he's high on spiritual progress. He's seeing how much the sun barely seems to be setting behind him because he's just like, oh my gosh, right out of the gate, I've got this push and I'm coming down from the cross, down the hill. I've got all this momentum, gravity working with me and and, uh, all this newfound excitement. Yeah, he is perplexed that there are people for whom this has become, and and, and it should be to us perplexing that anyone, even ourselves or anyone else could view view the cross and, and the gospel as old hat. Hmm. But, yeah, the, the judgment that comes in on it, I think, is it's a reflection of his immaturity. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, or that or that he knows kind of everything that there is to know now because and I know I know I'm a big, big victim of this for sure, because I can throw enough scriptural quotation behind something and then equating that with like lived wisdom, mm-hmm. you know, where where that's what he does. He tries to wake them up and he goes, oh, well, here's quotation. And then they don't respond to it. And then, oh, well, I'm better than you. And I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you behind the dust. Just because you're right in so much that you can support what you're saying with scripture. You don't know anything about these people's lives, what's happening, who they are. You know, like it, it, there's so much more that goes into an informed relationship where he's not even building a relationship to begin with. He's just pestering and then moving. Mm. But... It would have been wrong probably for him to get bogged down with them. Well, we're going to see uh, later on in part two, there's a reference to a number of people who were taken aside by these guys and and did get bogged down with them. And and, uh, in two chapters, we're going to have a a picture of that. We're going to have a a, a narrative of someone else coming across these three guys and lying down. And so maybe, I mean, I can't judge Christian one way or the other here. I I think it's a discernment issue. 
how long do you sit alongside someone before you say, well, God has other people as well. Maybe I planted this seed. Yeah. Maybe someone else is going to come along and what they say combined with what I said will do the trick. Uh, it's it's a discernment thing. But but yeah, there's definitely, I think, a little bit of looking down at... I mean, he's literally looking down at them because they're sleeping. Yeah. Uh, we do want to point out a kind of Easter egg here. And that is the Britishism. Every tub must stand on its own bottom. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that means... Uh, when we were reading this, we read that a few times, and I was like, does anyone know what that means? So I, I emailed a friend of mine, uh, the Reverend Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley, who is uh, a British minister, a really cool guy, and, and kind of, I, I don't know, famous for what? Famous for just being awesome, and like uh, in, in sort of podcast circles, people defer to his, his, his wisdom and knowledge of a lot of these, especially church history, and oh, yeah. um, I asked him, what does this mean? He told me, essentially, it means everybody has to uh, stand kind of on their own two feet or without assistance. And I said, okay. And then I reread the passage and said, I still don't get it. Like, yeah. so, so I do not see any danger, says Sloth. Just let them have a little, just let me have a little more sleep. And presumption asserted every tub must stand on its own bottom. So what else need I say? Uh, and so <laughs> Christian B, just as perplexed yeah. by that as I was, and say, this doesn't, what do you... All right, whatever. Like, like I, yeah. I'm not going to have an argument with you. Uh, you're not standing on anything. You're sleeping. You're lying down. You're not self-sufficient. You're not standing without assistance, but you don't want my assistance. And it's interesting because it's not... That isn't true in so much as how the church is built up, you know? Right. Where you're not expected to stand alone. Christian's not walking in the smartest way. Christiana goes about it in a much better way than... Christian does because we're not designed to stand on our own. Right. We're right. not supposed to be these people that aren't affected by others around us. We're supposed to be in this church environment walking alongside other people who have the ability to bear one another's burdens. This is something that's so crucial and important to uh, uh, the Christian walk. And Christian makes his greatest progress when he has people next to him. When right. he has yes, absolutely. friends. Yes. Uh, and it's such an odd statement, you know. Where'd that guy learn church? Where'd he learn Christ? If that's what he's coming away with, is that Christianity is everybody being able to stand on their own. Odd. Well, and I love the way that uh, several times uh, there's a kind of pitting of common everyday idioms and sayings, some of which like this have fallen out of fashion, apparently even in England, and some of which like a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush yeah. are still with us. And sometimes some of these things are even confused with being kind of biblical wisdom because they're they're rather old and, and grandma used to say it. And, <laughs> and in the case of a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, uh, the interpreter says he lives by that. But mm. That's not the truth. The scripture of the truth. And here, this guy lives by this. Yeah, every, let everyone stand on his own two feet. I think that's the modern equivalent. I like every tub on its own bottom better. But yeah, uh, I'm going to, in fact, in order to sound You're bringing pretentious, it back. I'm bringing it yeah, back. Yeah, bringing it back. But like, also, not biblical. Jesus sends his disciples out two by two. You read the book of Acts. And Philip, yes, goes to the Ethiopian eunuch. And it's just one Christian and uh, a guy struggling. But then before long, it's two Christians. And, and now we get two. But, but like... Peter and John, hmm. you'd think these two guys are such spiritual giants. They're going to, each one's going to, they can double the amount of ground they cover, right? Hmm. No, they, yeah. they go together. Paul is with Barnabas. Then he's with Silas. And there's also other guys with them. Uh, and in the book of Revelation, it's two witnesses are the picture of the church. Right. It's by the word of two or three witnesses that the truth stands. And the church, you know, be, being pictured in this way. And then you go back to Ecclesiastes and two are better than one. And that's often read. I've even uh, preached that sometimes at weddings, uh, but it's not something that only applies to married people and not to people who, who are uh, called to singleness, because even if you are not married, absolutely, probably then becomes even more important mm. that you have brothers yep. and sisters, uh, you know, that, that you link arms with in order to hold each other up, hold each other accountable, pray for each other, keep each other uh, from falling into despair or falling asleep by the side of the path mm. or wandering into Bypath Meadow or one of these things. Iron sharpens iron. Yeah, yeah right. You know, yeah, yeah. All of these things, it, it, the scriptures bang that drum a lot. Yes. And we, in our American culture, have decided that the lone gunman, the lone ranger, the lone wolf, the John McClain private is more religion. exciting. Yeah, right. It's, it's isolated. Private religion. This is, this is yeah, yeah, uh, isolated. But this is not what, 
That's not what any of this means. It's a blue you know? sky beam, vertical between me and God in heaven. And if you ask me about it, that's offensive. Well, and, and <laughs> that's a problem. We go back to creation, and it's not good that man is alone. Right. You know. You know. And that's and that's before sin. This is the church is still is, two people at that point. Yeah. You know. You know. This is this is the most natural, uninfluenced, unbound that humanity is ever going to be. And here's Adam, and it's not good that you're alone. And that's on the heels of. Uh, you know, God looked at it and said it was good. God mm-hmm. looked at it and said it was good. God looked at it and said it was toth ma'oth, very good. Mm. And then he looks, he makes Adam, he's like, oh, this is so good. I love what I've done here. But it's not good Yeah. for one person to just try and do everything alone. Uh, and so obviously he makes Eve in that case. But I think Paul and Silas kind of really for each other are that, that helper um, without implying anything about, you know, the, the, any, yeah. any kind of modern controversies or anything. Just they're, they're there for one another because one person is going to be weaker. It's almost like this is going to sound semi-blasphemous, so everybody tune right in. Reminds <laughs> me a bit of Michael Scott and Pam in that one episode. Oh, interesting. Uh, and this, because this is a, a common grace occurrence. It's more true in the church, I think. But the fact that um, there's a brief time in the office when Michael Scott leaves, like Jerry Maguire, starts his own company. Right. Pam goes with him, and he, at the very beginning can't get himself started. He's like, we can't do this. It's impossible. Yes. She's like, no, we can do it. We can do it. Come on. And she builds him up and he gets up and they go. And then by the end of the episode, she won't get out of the car because she's like, I, we can't do it. This is him. And he, and, and in that, I mean, it was a goofy thing, but I, I was almost like moved emotionally by that mm. because it's such a, a beautiful thing when two people can have that effect on each other where one of them is down and the other. And, and, and I mean, in marriage, it's such a natural place to see it. You see it with, look at Spurgeon, uh, Charles mm-hmm. Spurgeon and Susanna Spurgeon, uh, or Luther and yeah. Katie. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's just this, we are here for each other because otherwise, neither of those guys would have done anything noteworthy. Without their wives. Yeah. Absolutely. They, they would have done like one thing, mm-hmm. gone up in their attic or down in their basement and moped. And, moped. and that would have been it. Yep. You know, like, you, you need each other. And, and so, yeah, I think it's hard to over... But... These three guys have three guys, right? right. So that's the question. Yeah. And foremost in hypocrisy, there's two of them. Yeah. Let's let's move on to them. Foremost okay. in hypocrisy here. Uh, this is a longer section. It, here, here's one page, not even the whole page full, which is the encounter with simple sloth and presumption. Mm-hmm. Very brief. Foremost in hypocrisy, it's a back and forth. It's a uh, trialogue kind of. I don't know if it, this is just a little look inside how I think about these things when I'm putting together the, the episodes. Uh, I had been putting... Nothing against left-handers. The the right and the left being the cheap and the goats is what was in my mind. I had been putting Christian on the left, evangelist on the right, the interpreter on the right, etc. Not all the way, because that's obnoxious when something goes completely into one channel or the other, but leaned that way. And then once he gets saved, then Christian Mm. was on the... So so in this case, I put Christian in the middle, hypocrisy on his left and foremost on his right, as kind of a sense that they kind of surrounded him. Mm. And... They, they maybe didn't even talk about it, and they're maybe not even fully aware of it, but they want to win him over to the idea that popping over the wall and going through the motions is good. It's just as good as going to the gate. They really want him to, because when he won't bend to that, they fall back behind and let him carry on alone. And so I kind of sandwiched him between them. It's a interesting conversation. Also, I, I think this one's very funny in, in Bunyan's original. Hmm. There's a kind of goofiness about tumbling in. And yes, there's a sadness to it because it, it it's all too familiar in our world. But also, we could go back a thousand years. You know, their, their picture of what it is that's impressive about their religion. Right. Is that it's got a, a chain of uh, witnesses that can go back. Is that if you look at us all at once, no one would know you came in one way and we came in the other. What's the big deal? And then for, for one of them to finally be like, I'm kind of bored by this uh, mm. and, and want to move on the conversation. Uh, what, what are your takeaways from Foremost in Hypocrisy? One thing, I do like that he's kind of surrounded because that is a very natural uh, thing. We all want other people to sign off on our thoughts and our actions and our what have you because it feels good. Right. It right. feels good to have – and especially – from someone that from first meeting, there's already kind of some tension. Mm-hmm. Christian's not sure about them. He's immediately asking them questions about, is that right? Is that okay what you did? 
And then they're immediately offended by that. Well, of course, we've, you know, our people have always done this. This is just what we do. We, uh, we, even, built, um, we even built steps just outside to uh, make it easier. And probably there, there's a, a spot where people say goodbye. Say goodbye. And give you right, some gifts right. There's and... a gift shop. Yeah. <laughs> I also think it's interesting that they're so willing to admit that they're bored. That they're bored by, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no, there's nothing polite about it. There's immediately tension. They immediately don't like the way that he's dressed. Right. Yeah, you know, you're going to make fun you know. of him. So like that already kind of disproves their point that no one could tell the difference between them. He's dressed goofy and silly and they're not. Then they immediately go to, oh, this is boring. This is boring. You're not who we thought you were mm-hmm. or we're not going to get, we're not going to see eye to eye. We thought this would be a mutual admiration society on our way there. Well, and they admit it because they won't even fully admit to why they're going, right? To either praise or be praised. Right. I got that from Spurgeon, by the way. We'll take either one. Spurgeon seems to mention, like, he just thinks they're there to get praise. He takes there for praise. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit, but a little both. No big deal. Yeah. Where it, it... it couldn't be more obvious that these people are just philosophically opposed to each other. They're just people that don't believe the same things that are walking in the same direction. And they're just honest about it. This is boring. You're weird. We don't <laughs> believe the same things. And let's hang back a bit. And then they eventually all end up getting to that same mountain. And you see that, you know, you, you see that philosophy truly lived out. As soon as those opinions are met with difficulty, they're going to take the way over the wall again, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it would have been harder for them to go through the interpreter's house, and that's what they say, right? Do you know how far back we'd have to walk? Do you know how far we'd have to, to get from vainglory to the cross? Do you know how far that would be? We're not going to do that. We're just going to take the easy way. And that's exactly the thought when they get to hill difficulty. I'll just take the way around. Oh, it's labeled destruction, you know? So what? Let, yeah. let me uh, pop in there with just a, a thought on on the storytelling, and I and I want to hear yeah. your thought. Um, I was on a podcast with uh, Stephen Burnett the other day, talking, you know, pimping the program, as they say, um, as Bunyan would say, as you say, as Bunyan says, okay, as Bunyan is on record as saying, <laughs> <laughs> not so much, but uh, <laughs> it's an entire. It's well, an entire like pamphlet. There's the whole, the completed works. You look through the whole thing. Tell me he doesn't have After the Life and Death of Mr. Badman. Yeah, yeah. One called Pimpin' the Program. Pimpin' the Program. <laughs> but he, uh, Stephen Burnett and, and uh, his, his co-host there, Zach, uh, were asking me about self-awareness. Because there was a couple times talking about why is our city called destruction? Like, like kind mm-hmm. of like being self-aware that it's, and, and, and if you let them fully into, fall into this, then... There's no ever, never any danger. They'd be mm-hmm. like, "Oh, your name's deceit. I don't trust you." That's the end of it. Yeah. But like, I think there is some value to his making this big weird possible origin of the word destruction for this, because people are willing to say, "Well, God's word says this clearly." But what if it means, and say that the word on its face can't mean what it means most plainly? It has to mean this other thing that's almost opposite of what it clearly means. And that is such a tendency more and more in our world today mm. that I think it's a, a, an opportunity in reading Pilgrim's Progress to go, well, yeah, somebody could say the sign here literally says destruction with an arrow to the left. And you say, huh, I wonder what that means. Well, I'll go that way because it looks easier. Yeah. A- and not see themselves as acting insane. Right. Because what's more probable? Some guy with the last name destruction like walked by and then they named the path after it or it's literally pointing to destruction, you know? <laughs> If I'm driving down a road and there's a sign and it's pointing this way and it says just destruction. I'm going to find out what's going on, actually. Yeah. But if it says like dead end, I know yeah. that it's a dead end there. Yeah. If it says right. danger, uh, falling rocks, mm. I'm not going to assume that it was Johannes Falling Rocks who named yeah. the road. Yeah. It's another example of these false philosophies that will lead you so far. And then the minute that difficulty gets brought up, you'll take a different path. You'll take a different way. It's the exact same thing with pliable where you'll only go so far and then it gets hard. And then you go, well, I'm leaving then. Or I'll find a different way around. Or I'll, 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 I'll abandon all of my new beliefs. Yeah. These people didn't believe in it. in Shallow soil, rocky soil, thorny yeah. soil. Yeah. They, they, they get to hill difficulty and they go, that's, a, that's an actual mountain. That's a mountain, not a hill. And I'm not climbing. I'm not doing any more work than I need to. And I think the arrow pointing in the, in the other two directions, mm-hmm. those are probably 
other spiritual leaders, quote unquote, on Twitter or on TV or even in your own town saying, listen, there is a far more, there's a labyrinth over here, which is actually what it's going to wind up being. Mm. We haven't seen the last, by the way, of formalism and hypocrisy uh, on on our program here. Um, Mm. That You go this way and it's mysterious and it's beautiful and you can go and you don't have to climb the hill and you don't have to have your neighbors point at your goofy jacket and laugh and think you're weird and other. In Mm. fact, we have, you know, Culture nights where we get together and and yeah, yeah. All, all this stuff where you don't have to give anything up. You, there's there's no there's no cost to count here. Mm. And once you promise somebody that, yeah, they'll believe that the the word destruction doesn't mean destruction. That the word danger doesn't mean danger. Sure, why mm. not? You've promised me something in the moment that even though in the at the core of my soul, what I wanted was to be relieved of my burden. Now that that's happened. You can latch onto this fleshly thing, and and now I'm making provisions for the flesh. Right. I'm opening doors for the flesh. That is a hard road to back out of. Let, let me ask you one more thing about um, the world of this this allegory, because you talked about having to go all the way back. I talked about it in the text too, all the way back to that uh, gate, and how it's easier just to pop over the wall. Later, spoilers all around. If you've not read the, this, uh, there's a guy named Hopeful who is going to be in the town of uh, Vanity. Uh, we meet him at Vanity Fair, and he goes with Christian from there. We won't tell you any of the other specifics, but he goes with him from there. There's no indicator that he had somehow gone all the way back to where Christian went through that gate, gotten all the way back up. Maybe, but it, it seems like he's only in that cell for a very short period of time, especially in the original Pilgrim's Progress. And I'm wondering if maybe, even in this world, you know, you're at Vanity Fair and you want, you know, you have a contrite heart and you want to follow Jesus. There's an evangelist in that town or nearby who points you to the wicket gate, which isn't too far away. Right. You know, there's another one that is just, it's a more of a concept. And like, if they had, even in the land of vainglory, had the right heart, hmm. it would have been not too many steps to get to the wicket gate and beyond, you know, to the cross it's just in, obviously, once you start pulling on these threads of allegory, the whole thing comes apart. But right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the distance is in the thing's value, you know. So, you know, if you value it, it doesn't seem as far away mm-hmm. as it actually is. Or you're actually willing to make good progress towards something if it means something to you. The cross doesn't mean anything to these people. They might not even know how far it is. Mm-hmm. could be right around the corner. If it doesn't right. mean anything to you, yeah, you they've, know. They've had passed down that it's too far and it's not yeah. worth the trouble. Yeah. There's a lot of things that don't mean anything to me in this world that I don't know where they are. <laughs> like, I just I just assume that it's too far and I yeah. don't go because I don't care. So I think there's a bit of that, but I think that you're right. I think that I think that if they would have wanted to, if they would have been truly seeking, if an evangelist would have come you know, come along and uh, have seen them in a field, beating their chest, crying, um, yeah, they could have pointed them to a cross. They could have pointed them to a wicked gate. You could have the interpreter, pointed them toward the light, and in between them and the light would have been a gate, yeah. There would have been a gate, and, you know, uh, the interpreter's house would be there, mm-hmm. and it would have the exact rooms that they need to see. I could very much see this as, as we're talking about a, a story with, you know, you know, giant dragon people and, 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 like, hobgoblins and stuff like that. So it's not crazy to think that this stuff kind of moves around. Right. As needed. And it's, and, well, yeah. you've got the maps and everything, but it's the yeah. map of Christian's journey. I, it seems silly even to bring up, but for the fact that yeah. I've, I've written it uh, mm. already where Hopeful is able to, in the course of just a couple days, yeah. become a pilgrim on the road without a burden on. Mm. Uh, and I think that that is a really meaningful thing and it's mysterious and it fits the world of the whole thing Hmm. really well. Let's look at some of the text here. Uh, I think this is the main one. Uh, John 10, 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Uh, So Jesus is actually warning there about false teachers. Hmm. Uh, It's applied in this book to false pilgrims, but it works either way. Hmm. You go in, if, if you're going in honestly, you go in through the door. If you're going in through devious means, you're going to pop over the wall, maybe under cover of darkness or whatever mm. the case, to do some nasty stuff. We could probably name a lot of people that we thought were those false teachers. I think it makes more sense just to say, be on guard, like Jesus said over and over and over and over again, yes. for false shepherds, wolves in sheep's clothing, 
if you're not on guard against that, it doesn't matter how zealous you are for Jesus, you're leaving yourself in danger. That's why this, the New Testament, again and again and again, every single apostle who writes an, an epistle mentions this. Hmm. Keep your eyes open. Keep your head up. Head on a swivel. Um, that's the message, I think. I don't know. That's the idea, anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't you can't be too careful. And, and I don't think that means we are skeptical and cynical about other believers. It means we just do the Berean thing of going mm-hmm. to the scriptures and say that's where we're going to check whether these things are so. You'll know them by their fruit. Having an ability to genuinely believe the best of people, to genuinely believe and love the fact that the gospel is for all people's different walks, people that you're not necessarily going to get along with all the time, or you're not going to see eye to eye with all the time, or your best friends, or the gospel's for all of these people. Uh, There's an ability to not have to necessarily, like Christian here, make like an in-the-minute decision whether or not they're genuine believers or not, based on, you know, you can walk with people for a while, you can talk with people for a while, you can can, really sit down and evaluate their beliefs and your own beliefs, and like like we're we're talking about in James, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Open to reason. Yeah, yeah. this thing, like you're... You're open to actually genuinely have a conversation with somebody. You know, genuinely do life. (laughs) If only someone would have come up with a verb that means to do life. to do life. (laughs) Um, That that's okay. And that we can be zealous and we can also wait to obtain knowledge. We don't have to fall into that category. The next text is uh, Galatians 2.16. It says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is definitely uh, pointed at formalist more than hypocrisy, but but maybe to some degree the whitewashed tomb aspect of, of hypocrisy. I think it's interesting, too, that it's just like those three... Former guys, simple sloth and presumption, being lumped together as buddies, and obstinate and pliable being together naturally. Mm. That these two guys, one of their main characteristics by which they're named is yeah. uh, that he's a hypocrite. He he's pretending to be something he's not. The other one, his main characteristic is that he follows through a system, and that is, I think, no, no one is going to say I want to be a hypocrite, right. but it's becoming very very common in our world where, gosh. To fix an aspect of my car recently, I just went on YouTube and I said, here are the four steps. Let's just do it. And even I could do it. You know, like huh. to, to say, here's what you need to do to accomplish. You do A, B, and C and you get D. Uh, I, I think that there's an appeal, a growing appeal to that. And this is a really needed corrective that there's no works of the law you can do hmm. by which you'll be justified. Ephesians 2, 15, I'm going to read 14 as well, uh, because it's the middle of the sentence. So, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and so make peace. Both of those texts are from the same footnote uh, where Christian says, By obedience to laws and ordinances, you will not be saved since you did not enter in at the wicked gate. Now, here's an interesting thing from Spurgeon. He suggests that this guy was way out of line, uh, Christian, to, to point out hmm. his scroll and his mark on his forehead, that, that since these men have shown themselves to be kind of hmm. the, the uh, swine to which pearls should not be cast, he should have just carried on sooner. But uh, he does say, yeah, you've made fun of my coat, but I know that by, by that emblem, by that token, that, that my Lord loves me and he'll know me when I arrive. And also, check this out. Uh, and he says, before I had the coat, I had nothing but rags. Now I have the coat. I have the scroll. I have the, the mark on my forehead. And uh, there's a couple of texts here uh, that are referenced. Isaiah 61.10, which says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And the other is uh, Galatians 3, verse 27, which reads, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Uh, so the picture of us having put on Christ, his righteousness as a garment, uh, is a, a beautiful picture from the scriptures. I think, I, you know, going back to Zechariah 3 and the idea of the high priest even, the holiest God who goes as the representative of all of the people into God's presence, totally covered in filth, and the angel of the Lord uh, removing from him those filthy garments and putting on him a, a clean linen robe 
I mean, it's almost like the gospel is is there in the Old Testament too. <laughs> almost, <laughs> almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's just you know, it's almost like it definitely, absolutely, is. Uh, overtly is. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, and Christian recognizes it, and these guys want nothing to do with it. Maybe they just don't want to deal with Christian anymore, and that's part mm. of why they'll go down danger and and destruction roads. I don't know, but I love that after they leave. And he doesn't have to like listen to them jaw anymore. Is when he hears the the brook, right? Uh, the the fountain, and he and he gets a drink of this living water, strengthens him. He's always I, I notice this when I'm when I'm adding some kind of uh, post effects and things. He's always running and then immediately like falling tired mm. and like and like dragging. And it's like, dude, just get a good clip going and like like walk briskly and then you want to have to alternate between running and he's and like crawling. a toddler he, yeah, yeah. He is, yeah yeah but he's immature right now as exactly. a Christian, so it makes exactly. perfect sense yeah. he starts running and then before long he is hands and knees there's nowhere to stop as far as he can tell mm-hmm. until he gets to the top and it's getting dark it's almost there and he starts thinking did i make a bad move then he gets to that beautiful arbor which is going to be really an important place for this whole story at large i think this is almost a act break, hmm. you know, climax type place. And he gets to this arbor and he's so tired. He reads the scroll a little. He's like my wife, where if you lay down and start reading, 100% you're going to be asleep within a few minutes. Oh, interesting. Uh, and especially if it's in the sun. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like a cat. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he rolls it up, falls asleep, and it falls out of his hand. Hmm. And now we don't know what is going to happen next. He is going to be very angry with himself, not even so much for dropping the scroll. He mm-hmm. doesn't chastise himself over and over again for that. He sees that as a natural result of having slept during the daytime. Yes. And it's it's so full circle from looking down the nose at these three sleeping. Mm-hmm. He then goes, overworks himself, and passes out. Even thinking to himself, way. I won't do what they do. I won't do I'm what not, they I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to rest my eyes. That's like a grandpa move, right? I'm, just, I'm resting my eyes. I'm, I'm, not... I'm still watching that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't turn off gun smoke. I'm yeah. just resting my eyes. I've yeah. seen this one so many times I can watch it in my mind if I hear the... Yeah. But, but he's, he's, you know, this is the basic blunder of let anyone who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be completely natural for a new Christian to do this a number of times, and even for a mature Christian, where you say to yourself, I've got that sin licked. I, I don't have to worry about that again. I don't mm. have to be on guard against that anymore. Right. It's been a while. That old itch uh, isn't there, right? Like, yeah. he keeps going up to scratch the itch. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah I've got, I, I don't have the flesh dominating me like I once did. Mm. But as soon as he says, I don't have to worry about it, lays down, he's no longer being alert, it's over. And if the... Spoiler alert, Shining One didn't come and wake him up, hmm. which makes me think that probably right when they fell asleep, if they're true converts, simple sloth and presumption oh. had the Shining Ones come and wake them up. And they said five more minutes and rolled over again. And, oh, and interesting. Uh, it said, you know, go go to the ant, you sluggard. Come on, hmm. guy, go. Uh, and, and it's really at a point, I've, I've dogged a little on Bunyan's storytelling because, it, you know, the medium of the novel didn't exist. And so when we look at back at it now, there there are some things that need some help. But he takes this point in the story right after being relieved of what has been up to this point, the main crisis, the main problem has now been solved. And you have, as the author now, a new problem, which is how do I create urgency? Hmm. And within just, and so he gives us like this downtime and a couple of amusing encounters. And then he creates urgency by, I've got to get somewhere before it's dark. Because yeah. we're gonna, as we're gonna find out in chapter seven, here be lions, guys, yeah. <laughs> and it's gonna be dark, and you are gonna be dead. Yeah. So there's the stakes are high, mm. and gosh, it really is. It, it, it deserves to be famous still after 350 years. It really is a brilliant piece of work with absolutely everything to say about our lives today. Yeah, that's what's which so wild. Is, about which it. is what's wild about it is that I, I think that I think that if we look at the this is obvious, but like if you look at the vast majority of entertainment, how much of it is irrelevant? Right. right yeah. After after 
25 years. I still watch, you know, uh, Cheers and Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore and stuff. And part of what's entertaining and fun about it is that it's irrelevant. Mm. This kind of like, oh, this other quaint other world that has nothing to say to me and doesn't make me think about problems in the world today. Right. (laughs) But when you read this, it brings to mind problems in the world today, but then points you to the solution, which is the beauty of it. Yeah. And it's it has its uh, has its fingers on the pulse of the problem from the beginning of time or, yeah. or you know, right from the fall. It has chapter three finger. on. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You know, it has his finger on. This has always been the issue. This is the thing that has been felt by real people. Every real, real person. Yeah, yeah. Every real person. These are these are themes and things and ideals that they have felt. And that is that's so special because I think it helps tie you down to the history, right, of the Bible. This is real, and it should make you think, and it should make you want to live, and you should be able to learn lessons, and it should motivate you to want to stay on the narrow road all the more. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have not come to the cross and had your burden removed, you can do that right now. It's not that far back to the uh, wicked gate. (laughs) And as Spurgeon says, we point you not to the wicked gate with uh, steps in between, but rather to the cross itself and say, just Hmm. throw yourself at the the mercy of Jesus and he will give you mercy. And he'll take the burden from your back and and, uh, wash you and clothe you in in, uh, the righteousness of Christ and Christ himself. If you have been to the cross, be on guard. Don't fall asleep during the daytime. I mean, it's okay to take naps, literally, during the daytime. (laughs) Allegorically, don't uh, let yourself fall into this malaise, this complacent stupor that these three guys have fallen into and and, uh, get sidetracked. But stay on the narrow way. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress. Make sure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, and please take a moment to leave us an honest review. This recording, copyright 2022, high in silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Theme music licensed from pond5.com. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway a publishing ministry of Good News Publishers, used by permission, all rights reserved. For more audio experiences of my fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com audio. Hi, and Silver. Good. Jeff. Brett! <laughs>